Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplified Cancer Podcast. Look, when you're dealing with cancer, your oncology nurse is there for you every step of the way. Your nurse is the one asking you about your symptoms, you know, maybe administering treatment. You know, your nurse is answering the most pressing questions that you have right now and ultimately helping you preserve your dignity at the time when you really need it the most. Right now, we're talking to one amazing nurse. Her name is Natasha, and she's helped so many folks like you and me to get through treatment in the best way possible. Natasha also does a lot of really amazing work around clinical trials, so we get to find out what that's really like. So let's dig in. And Natasha, it's so scary to go through treatment, I guess, because you don't really know what's going on and you don't really know how things are going to turn out. So is there really any way to prepare for cancer treatment? No, I don't think there is because, I mean, knowledge is important, but also listening to your body and getting to know your body and how what doesn't feel right for you and what does feel right for you and gathering that information as much as possible about what's normal for you and what's not normal for you, trying to do that right from the very beginning. And I think that's really important. I think knowledge is important, but just being nice to yourself and looking after yourself as much as possible. You know, that self, I heard someone call it self-compassion, not being hard on yourself and going, I've got to be tough, I've got to be strong. I mean, that's good to believe that, but also I feel sick because I'm having some really heavy-duty treatment with side effects and I feel really bad at the moment and just not being hard on yourself about that, not being... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's it, it makes so much sense because you do have a tendency to kind of, you know, or even to put on a brave face and, and you know, to go, yeah, I, I can do this, I'm okay, when in reality it just wears you out and you mm-hmm. kind of have to balance your normal everyday life. You, you might be working, you might have a family, you might have friends, you might have everything going on. But at the same time, you've got this treatment that kind of explodes into your life and you kind of have to figure out how everything works and dealing with side effects. And you got to navigate, like you said, the system. Yeah. And you know, you've got uh, oncologists and your medical team and how does it all fit together? So yeah, it can be a bit of a maze, right? And to be honest with you, I've been a nurse for a long time and wouldn't want to say how long because it would probably be embarrassing for me. But I'm still working it out because the system's always changing. So it's not like it's this static way that things go and you go, okay, now I know how it works. We're going to be okay for the rest of our lives. It, it's constantly <laughs> changing. You'll come back in six months and they'll go, oh, no, you don't call that person anymore. We rework things. And they're more efficient and now you've got to call this person. And, it, you know, there's just constant change. So there's change in your everyday life. There's change in how your body's responding to treatment. There's change in what's going on in the health system. There's just, it's a lot to navigate. And plus you still have to have a job and pay your bills and, you know, be with your family. It's, it's, it's a lot. 
Yeah, exactly. So what advice do you have on, on kind of dealing with uncertainty, especially for someone who's um, maybe going through treatment? Mm. My Probably my best advice is to say uncertainty is okay and it's normal. And if you're feeling uncertain, that's a normal thing. And we just don't know. And, and that's, we don't know how you're going to respond. We don't know how your cancer is going to respond. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to do our best to get the best for you the whole way through. From Right from this moment on, we're going to do our best and you need to ask questions and ask for help and just do whatever, reach out to us as much as possible because that's what we're there for. So I think that would be my advice, that uncertainty is normal and just get whatever help you need you know, let that sit with you until you start to get some certainty and some grounding on what's going on, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That makes so much sense. So, and, you know, because as, as an oncologist, as the people, you know, ask you lots of questions, the patients ask you questions, is this like the right thing to do? Yes, yep. Um, if anything, I go asking them questions as well. Um, but, you know, people do ask a lot of questions and there's no question that's not, an unusual question, I guess. And if we don't know, we know who to ask or who to get to help. So yeah, we like questions. <laughs> That's good to hear. So, and you know, obviously as a patient, you have aches and, and pains during treatment. So how do you know whether, you know, it's it's cancer or whether it's, it's a side effect or whether it's something that's totally unrelated? Yeah, that's, that is one of those things that just comes with experience, especially when it's an unfamiliar ache and pain that you've not had before. We all have our aches and pains, especially as we get older, they sort of become more pronounced. And so there's the normal aches and pains that we get, you know, sore knee from walking too many stairs, you know, but some of our treatments can exacerbate those pains if you've got a little bit of arthritis and you have some treatments that they can actually get exacerbated and that's normal. But I think it's just that sort of thing that just comes with experience. Um, so you just have to listen to your body and be kind to your body and that sort of thing. Just just get to know yourself. Um, your body's changing. Um, when you have treatment, all the cells in your body are changing and responding and you just got to learn the new ways, I guess. And and just constantly speak up. If there's a pain that's worrying you, speak up about it. Let the doctor assess you. Let the nurse assess you. Do some blood tests. Have a scan if people think you need to have a scan. Just do what you think you need to do. If, if your gut feeling's telling you something's not right, then just say, I've got this pain. My gut feeling's telling me it's not right. So, And we'll, we will listen to that and we will look into that cool that makes a lot of sense and natasha you see a lot of people who go through treatment and is there anything someone can do to really go through treatment just in a better way just to get through it in a better shape you know mentally emotionally yeah. socially what do you think what advice do you have on that front well, there's so much research out there about this sort of thing and we're learning more and more and more about it. But I think it just goes back to just basics of exercising regularly. Don't go crazy, you know, just have a walk. Even when you're really tired, a walk can just really pick up your mood, get out in the sun, um, you know, wear your sun hat and your sunscreen, that sort of stuff. But just get outside, get in some fresh air, 
eat a nice healthy breakfast, you know, do whatever you can. If, if you've got problems with nausea, try and get a plan in place to help manage that. Just try and do whatever you can for having a good quality life, you know, and have friends over. Even if you're feeling rotten, just have people over, have, you know, grandkids or neighbours or whatever, have people over and just be gentle with yourself about it. But, yeah, I think exercise, good food, good company, I think that's a pretty good way to live all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's the way, with or without cancer. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic, Natasha. So, look, clinical trials, why are they important? Well, most of us will, um, like for myself and the oncologists I work for and allied health team members, the reason we do clinical trials is to give our patients access to more treatments and more modes of care that wouldn't normally be available to them. So that's the main reason we do it. There'll be some treatments that are new and cutting edge, but if we were to wait until they were normally available on the PBS, you know, that, that's not a treatment option available here and now for that patient. So that's why we do clinical trials. We don't always know that it's going to go well, but most of the clinical trials that we get have had uh, many phases before we actually do them. So they're really important as a part of our health system because they offer a, an alternative form of treatment, but they also increase knowledge and research and they help us find better treatments for people and improve, you know, just build layers and layers of knowledge. But there's also a lot of research that shows that hospitals that do lots of clinical trials actually have better care and better outcomes. Their patients usually do better. And I think it's because there's always people analysing and assessing how we look after people and evaluating it. Um, so we're always trying to do things a bit better and we just don't get stuck into a the same old, same old when there's better options out there, if that makes sense. Um, but yep. there's certainly a lot of data that shows that if you've got clinical trials happening, even if you're not on a clinical trial, uh, patients do a lot better in those sort of institutions. That's so great to hear. I think that's fascinating because that's a real incentive for people to really consider going um, with a clinical trial or also just going to a hospital that does, as you said, does clinical trials. Yeah. So tell me, as a patient, like, um, how is going through clinical trial different to standard treatment, just in terms of, I guess, dealing with it, you know, day to day? Yeah. I mean, there is the uncertainty. We don't actually know if this if the clinical trial treatment's better than what we already do. And because of that uncertainty, we have to do a lot more tests. So we're keeping a little closer eye on you. We try and to save money, that's a, an incentive by, you know, the health system, try and fall in with what would be normal treatment and, and, and so that we're not doing a lot of extra tests that cost money. But we keep a much closer eye on you, which demands a lot more from you usually time-wise. You'll probably have us calling you and asking how you're going. Uh, we'll do an extra assessment when you come in to see the doctor. And so there's just that extra level of time and attention. There's often extra blood tests involved because we're, we are keeping a very close eye on you. And with clinical trials, they're very heavily regulated We've got very strict protocols because 
historically there have has been periods um, like in the 60s where trials weren't done properly and so now we have really strict rules that we have to follow and so that means we're a bit stricter with our patients because of the strict rules that we're supposed to be following. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is they're really structured and, yeah, they're not as flexible. That's great because I think that's great because you kind of know that there is um, lots of structure and process around it. It's not just kind of random things that are happening or, you know, you're, you're not the guinea pig. No, right? you're like, not the guinea pig. <laughs> There is that idea out there, but no, I think clinical research has become very sophisticated. So, yeah, no, by the time they get to us, unfortunately, all of that sort of experimental type stuff has been tested. And, yeah, it's more about real treatment in large populations of patients. Exactly. And getting real outcomes for people. That's right. Yeah. So as a patient, like, how do you know if the treatment is working or not like when you're going through a clinical trial well we'll be keeping a close eye on you with your tests um, it depends on how the trial's designed and what the trial's trying to achieve but the standard is usually there'll be blood tests with different markers there'll be scans they'll probably be done a little bit more frequently in the beginning and the biggest way of knowing is if you start to feel better and that's how you know if the treatment's working. Usually um, people start to feel better and that is usually a much earlier marker that mm. the treatment's working than the scan. Cool. And tell me about the follow-up that you do with people because I think, you, like you mentioned earlier, that you kind of follow up sometimes for quite a few years, actually. How does that work? Um, so what we usually, we usually do it for safety just to make sure there's no lagging effects from treatment that we don't know about. So initially we'll see people more frequently. We might see them 30 days after they finish treatment. Um, sometimes we see them two weeks and 30 days, you know, just very close time periods and it might get stretch out to three months and then stretch out to six months and stretch out to once a year. And then we might just phone them once a year and just say, have you been, has anything been going on? You've been seeing your GP just to make sure, you know, that there's nothing that we haven't, you know, any unanticipated consequences. And if there are, we get on top of it quickly um, rather than it just sort of not being addressed because a lot of the treatments that are done with a clinical trial are specialised and so we need that specialist sort of vigilant attention just to make sure that everything's okay. Yeah, and you know what? I think I, I personally think that's fantastic because I mean, even with a standard treatment, you, you've got regular follow up anyway, yes. and, and and I think that's great because personally, you know, going to see my oncologist makes me feel great because I'm going well, just making sure that it's all on track, and it also keeps me kind of focused on just on my life, you know, living kind of day to day, you know, just being focused on the present and living in the now. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> way of looking at it, it's sort of like a, um, it's like a routine flag of, well, this is where I'm at at the moment. I think that's good. Cool. It's a great thing. Thanks it's so easy pressure. to get caught up in all the other stuff, and it's great that there's that, you know, that all right, this is where I'm at, and it's feeling pretty good. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Natasha, do people let you talk to believe that they made the right choice about signing up for a clinical trial? Um, you know, I haven't really had that discussion with many people. Yeah, I just think it just becomes part of what's happened. Yep. Um, to be honest with you, I've never had any discussions with anyone about what was the right treatment or what wasn't the right treatment. It's sort of like everyone's got their path they've taken and this is the result of that path and I don't know. I have I can't think of any time when anyone has said they are glad they did or they they regret it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a listen out. I might have forgotten. <laughs> you know, I was kind of interested in what you'd say. But now that you say that people don't really have those conversations, you know, it kind of really makes sense to me because when I think back to myself and when I kind of think to some of the treatment choices, you know, that I made along the way, I probably don't kind of, you know, meditate on that too much. It's It's happened and, you know, I am where I am and you kind of just move on, right? Right. And I, I, we I do take the decision-making quite seriously and, and making sure that people are making their own choices and they've got all the information they need to make that choice. We take that really seriously and it's something that we get trained to do. Um, so I guess maybe people, because they're making their own choices, then that is what it is. I think Maybe if people were being pressured by others to make a choice they didn't want to, there may be regret. But there's quite a, you know, structured process with letting people make their own decisions, providing them with the appropriate information. And that even if people do give consent to go on a clinical trial, that consent is ongoing. So people can change their mind at any time. If they go start on the clinical trial, it doesn't feel right, they say, I'm out, I don't want to do this, I want to change to this, well, then that's what happens, you know. And so maybe there's people are just making whatever decisions work for them when they need to. I would hope that that's what we do, but and I'm just guessing, but I would think that maybe why I haven't had anyone say that because we have certainly had people that have started on clinical trials and just said, this isn't for me. I really want to go to Europe for six weeks. I don't want to do this. Can we do something else? And and that's totally fine. Cool. And and I think that it's, I think it's really special that kind of um, anyone going through treatment, whether that's you know a clinical trial or like a standard treatment, has a nurse like like yourself that they can talk to on a regular basis, whether that's every day, whether that's every hour, whatever that may be. So to kind of ask questions and to be able to to get some comfort and to ask about aches and pains and worries and to kind of get all that addressed. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'd hope that's what we were doing. I'd hope that people thought that we were doing that and because that's what we try to do. So, yeah, I'd hope that we were there as a resource, you know, to hold your hand when you need someone there um, and to high-five you when things are, are going great and... If you need more information, we'll find that the answers for you. Do you know what I mean? It may take us a while. We might need to find out stuff, do more investigations, take your blood pressure, you know, but we'll find out the answers for you. Natasha, I think you've been unnecessarily modest 
you know yeah. you guys and coach this is our saviors and um yeah i want to thank you for what you do in the world because it's so important you know i mean we need it you know it's such a huge you play such a crucial role for the patient i know that uh you know, I've had a number of oncology nurses that, you know, were with me through treatment. And it's been absolutely incredible because I do think it's it's kind of different from, you know, nursing in other areas. It's it's just such a involved thing in a way, you know? It is very involved. It's, um yeah, because I worked in intensive care for a long time and I loved working in intensive care. But it was a different type of nursing. It, you know, it is about living in the moment, and it's hard to explain. It is a t- different type of nursing. It's very rewarding, though. So, what's what's different? How is it different? I don't know. I just think it's um, like people sometimes say to me, "Oh, it must be hard working in oncology." And I just go, mm, "No, I've got it pretty easy, actually." The people. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it does sound cheesy, but people inspire you every day. There are people that will turn up for treatment having gotten up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do something. Or, yeah, I don't know. People are human beings in crisis are incredibly inspiring and to watch them just put their life back into the pieces that works really well for them, it's, I don't know, it's just really inspiring. Yeah, people are really amazing. It's I say it's just real or something. I can't really I don't have the words to describe it. I'm sure there's some very eloquent people out there that have written about it, but it's just very real and you know, like you were saying about the when you see the oncologist, it just makes you go, Okay, I'm in this moment, you know. Um, I don't find that I'm daydreaming about other stuff when I'm at work. It's really about what's happening here and now. It's very, it is, it's very much like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I really love that because it, it, it obviously goes both ways, you know, kind of that it is rewarding, um, you know, obviously for you as well. Mm-hmm. So again, Natasha, thank you so much for your time. And like I said, thank you so much for what you do and the difference that you're making. I think it's huge as a nurse in terms of clinical trials and making sure that your people get access to you know the best treatment available and ultimately get the outcomes that they want which is hopefully a cure right mm, yeah that's what we try to do and if we're not doing it just tell us you know just say i really need you to do this this is not working well for me you know because we really we want to do what we can absolutely mm. thanks so much natasha i really enjoyed it thank you thanks very much i've really enjoyed it too Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. 
So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling. You're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest, like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And 
send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 